Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Do you know, everything heaven demands of us, the cross provides for you. So what he went through on the cross so that we can have the access and be declared right before God. Gee, it's good to sing that last song and thank him, isn't it, and lift him up together. So good to be here with you. You take your seats. Thank you. Thanks, team. That was absolutely awesome. Oh, yeah, I'm back here a bit, aren't I? Okay, good. Mark McLennan, you've got such a lovely anointing when you represent God. Yeah, I enjoy it. So good. Call tonight's message Ground Zero because I was thinking so much about how the cross redefines things. You know, Golgotha, the place of the skull. I think... um, Calvary in Latin and Golgotha in Aramaic, the place of the skull. It's almost like that place was represented by the skull and crossbones, you know, death. But Jesus redefines it, and I thought he's such an expert on redefining difficulties for all of us and turning them into good things. Um, In all things, God works for the good of those who who love him. Many humans, and Mark mentioned this in his communion, so I was thrilled to hear that. Many humans become Christians while they're kneeling at the foot of the cross. Um, Even tonight, you know, we've done that. We've worshipped at the foot of the cross. And in your own heart, sometimes it's just good to make that next bit of ground. And there's a first time you do it. I remember a first time kneeling at the foot of a cross just in my own bedroom. The cross was that big. (laughs) But just doing the exchange, thank you, God. I give my life to you. I don't think I'll be very good at it, but I'm giving it anyway. Let's have a crack at it. And that exchange is so meaningful for people. It's why this building is filled tonight. Um, I just want to have a, a look at an aspect of the cross, almost two incidental things we're just going to look at and mention briefly. Um, I think the, the words will come up. It's out of John 19. Two things. Uh, First thing, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so it was worth a bit. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them, and cast lots for my garment. This, so this is what the soldiers did. But that, that quote, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment, was a prophecy out of Psalm 22, 18. It was also in Isaiah 75, I think it was. Uh, I have it written down somewhere. Come out. Yeah, Isaiah 53, sorry, in Isaiah 53. So that's a prophecy about what would happen on the earth. One of those prophecies was 700 years before it happened. So don't miss you know, the fine print of the cross. That's a powerful statement that demands our attention. Think, what am I going to do with that? Um, so the second thing, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Um, in all the Gospels, we're going to hear about the John was there, but none of the other Gospels mention about any male followers of Jesus being there at all. But John does show up. 
When Jesus saw that his mother was there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. So this is big. So don't forget the disciples deserted him in the garden. He hasn't really seen them since. He's seen Peter in the garden trying to be brave who ended up denying him. But I, I, I notice this and we'll look at it in a minute. They come back. But he doesn't confront them. He doesn't put them down. He gives them responsibility because he just really appreciates them coming back. So those of you who've come back to church tonight, thank you. There's no condemnation on you. God just goes, thanks for coming. He might even go, here's something to do. Um, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. This is known as the word of affection. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Interesting, because Jesus had brothers and the responsibility would have fallen to them, but him as the oldest son got to call the shot. So even in the midst of the most important act that anyone's done in history and at incredible suffering, he still takes care of his mum. He doesn't deny his family responsibility. Good for some of us pastors to hear that. Make sure you still take care of your family. Okay, so let's let's just have a have a have a little look. Um, the old clothes and the new family. The old clothes, the naked truth. Ju- the Jews had an abhorrence for nudity, and there would have been so much shame in Jesus being stripped of his human dignity like this. Whether he was completely naked or had a small loincloth, debatable. Different teachers say different things, um, but. There's a scripture that talks about how he suffered in all ways as us. So when we go to God in our suffering, Jesus understands because he's been through something in that area. And this, um, I, I, I don't know if you could say sexual shame or just the shame of being naked in front of people. Some might have poked fun at that. Who knows what comments were made. He can relate to bo- people who've been body shamed. He, he knows what it's like. The soldiers playing dice have no idea that just above their head is the central event of world history. To God and to Christians and to me, in all truth, it's the central event of world history. They've got no idea what's happening. Human numbness of what's important. Wow. I'm sure you and I have had times where we've, in our own numbness, you know, missed something important. Little things can be of great significance. I was even, this is kind of dumb, but I thought one of the things that most convinced me God was real once when I prayed for a parking spot when I was impossible to get one, I got one. Um, And there's other things he's done way bigger than that, but for some reason the parking spot thing was just really significant. And mind you, sometimes I've prayed for one and haven't got one, but it's amazing the number of times you do get one. Um, So that the prophecy, okay. Just finish that point with this. John Cowan, you know, one of the great kind of theologians and church leaders in history, says this, Jesus stripped that we might be clothed with his righteousness. But I'm not good enough. I know, that's exactly what he wants you to say. (laughs) But come to him with it. Don't say that and run away from him. Say that and come to him. He goes, thanks. That's why I died on the cross. That's why I went to so much trouble. Thank you. At last, a human being totally understands. I did this so you can come and say, I'm not good enough. Can you help me? That's the number one thing I think he wants us to say. 
Okay, let's look at the new family. I thought of it, the first thing that really hit me when I, when I read it was how many people are with us, you know, and, and the church is their family. I've seen the ones that have, you know, that have lost their families or been orphaned and the church becomes their family. I've seen the ones that have lost their life partner and, you know, the kids have moved away and the church becomes their family. And for all of us, really, church is, is a family for us and I like that. I love it. Only John's gospel has any mention of any of Jesus' men being present at the cross. Here we see the nucleus of many new families that the New Testament church brings together. The concept of adoption is, is demonstrated here. It's throughout the kingdom. Um, really interesting that Jesus even called you and I his brothers and sisters. Remember, people go, your mother, your mother and, your, and your brothers are outside and want to see you. And he goes, the ones that are here with me doing my will, they're my, they're my mother and my brothers. So, like, he's very inclusive of family. Um, Joseph obviously has died by this. You know, I think Joseph, my thought is that Joseph was dead by Jesus' first miracle um, at the wedding in Canaan because, you know, the family would have been together at the wedding if Joseph was around. So he's been gone for a long time. Jesus' personal responsibility because of her widowhood, he doesn't neglect even in great suffering. He uses few words because he's having trouble breathing. So he doesn't need to be a big talker. Paternal loyalty in the midst of his most important task, the word of affection. Mary to John's care, not him to hers. Because of a father. Remember the scripture prophesied over Mary, a sword will pierce your own heart. And this was where it happened. She saw her baby, her son, suffering unbelievably. But can I just tell you one big consolation that happens not long after? At the resurrection... So John, you know, in John's gospel, he mentions three times how he outran Peter. He was was quite proud of his speed. But I think he also would have run home to Mary after that and told her, he's risen. And the good news that that would have been for her would have been amazing. Um, It's just tough on her. I thought, man, the, the courage required some time to live your life for God Often being a Christian makes it heaps easier, but sometimes it makes it really tough. And I thought, his Mary has the greatest of all privileges in being his mother on the earth, but she also carries the greatest of all sorrows because it's her son, it's her child, it's her firstborn, that she's standing there watching him suffer so much. And I, and I thought, life's like that. I was just reading a little bit of Charles Spurgeon. I've got to get a new knee in three weeks. And... I had to go off my painkillers for three days. and I was in agony. And luckily, one of my devotionals that I read, Charles Spurgeon, he says, he says in his thing, because he suffered a lot with sickness, I'm learning the holy art of setting my face like flint to go through my suffering until I can say it is finished and then celebrate the victory. And I think Mary... Mary has a taste of that there and it was like, I don't know how God said it to me, but it was like in that moment, listen you wuss, <laughs> just set your face like Flint, it's going to be hard for a couple of days, you'll be fine, set your face like Flint and it won't be that long and you'll be celebrating your victory. I thought, okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, Mary doesn't collapse, she's there for her dying one 
isn't that tough being with loved ones when they die, even with animals when, when they die. Uh, Ross's sister's a vet and she says it's really important to be with your animal when they're being put down because they stay really calm if the owner's there. She reckons they, they love you more than they love themselves. That's if you've got, you know, you've got that kindness relationship. And, and they trust you unto death, like, like Job said, though he's slow me and I'll trust him. There's this beautiful thing about being there for them. It breaks your heart but you're there for them because they've been there for you. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's the same with family. It's so tough to be with them when they pass away. But I'd like to have some family there. They say cats will often like to go off and die on their own. And both my parents didn't want the kids with them when they died. They kind of asked us to kind of leave the room and, and passed away. And I was like, it's interesting. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. And there's no judgment in that. But largely I find it's nice to be there if you can for those you love when, when they're passing away. Um, I, I just found it an interesting thing too in my little Hebrew one. Where's that? Uh, in Hebrew, the, for the cloud of glory, there's a phrase, Ananai Hakavod. I don't know how to say it with a proper pronunciation, but it just says this. Israelites were in the desert. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. God sent a cloud of glory to shelter them. Rabbis, Jewish rabbis, call this cloud the Ananai Hakavod, which literally means cloud of glory. And their sense with the cloud, I always thought it was just the cloud that led them by day, you know, cloud, was it by day one? Sun by day, no, it was what led them by day and what led them by night. I've got it mixed up. Cloud by day, fire by night. That's it. Thank you. So I just thought it was a cloud, but the Jewish sense of it is they were, enshrouded in in the cloud. They were kept safe inside the cloud. And rabbis would teach that the Ananai Hakavod was made from the vapour that came out of the mouths of the nation of Israel as they called out to the Lord in the desert. And I, but, but what I wanted to say to that, that's what our worship does. When we worship, it creates this atmosphere around us that just makes life easier and better, you feel the presence of God, you can feel him with you, he's walking with you, providing, protecting. So in a way, you're doing yourself a favour when you worship because it creates this beautiful atmosphere around your life. Um, I worship in church, but my favourite worship is at home on the guitar, but I'm a really bad guitar player. I only know four chords and I play the same four chords every time I worship. But I sing a new song every day to God, right? And I sound terrible. <laughs> I don't know if heavenly going, oh, he's this guy. <laughs> and, and my dog used to like coming in for prayer, but I swore one time I saw her with a pause over <laughs> But man looks on the outward, God looks on the heart. He loves the new song. He loves that. And I find that changes the atmosphere because I have a negative bent in life. It's really important for me to worship in my prayer because it gives me that positive outlook as I go into the day. Um, okay, I finished. Let me just see if there's anything else. Oh, yeah, the only other thought before I close is this. So the disciples desert him. Peter stuffs up pretty bad, but not fatally. Peter comes back. He gets made head of the church. That's pretty good. John comes back. He gets pulled up to be equal to Jesus' brothers and, and takes care of the mum. And I thought, how, how gracious is God? Like, obviously they're guys who've repented and come back, I think, to be fair to them. But how good is God? He just wants you to come back. 
He just wants you to walk with him. When you go to pray and you haven't prayed for a week or two, he doesn't go, ah, 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 you haven't prayed for a week or two. He just goes, you've come, thanks. Let's meet together. And I just love that attitude so much and it's demonstrated there. Um, the greater the battle, the sweeter the victory. And I'm sure for Mary and for Jesus and for you and I in our lives, the greater the battle, the sweeter the victory. Isn't it? And cause there's a scripture, really. He has been forgiven much, loves much, or he has suffered has ceased from sin. Sometimes if your life's been tough on you, don't despair. Sometimes it can just give you better qualities than people who haven't had such a tough life. So there's something to be um, appreciated and treasured in that. God bless you. Thank you. Have a great Easter. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.